Hello, friends. Today's guest on the podcast is Tara Kersner. Tara is a good friend of mine. She is also an award-winning photographer, cinematographer, and a very accomplished rock climber. I stole that straight off her website because I couldn't say it any better than that. If you followed climbing media, you have likely seen some of her films, a few of which include Sladies, Comfort Zone, and The Art of Projecting, featuring Jonathan Segrist climbing Pachamama. We talked about some of Tara's favorite photos and what made them meaningful and some of her favorite moments that she's captured with her camera. We talked about mentorship and advice she would have for aspiring photographers and artists. We talked about her climbing and some of the key ingredients she used to become a more powerful climber and to unsmith herself. And we get into what that means. And we talked about making films and what she's excited about as it relates to her future in filmmaking and telling stories with her camera. This episode was recorded just a couple of weeks ago and was my first remote interview for the podcast. There were some cruxes, a lot of things went wrong, but I learned a lot and I did my best with the edit and I think we got something good out of it. Tara is a riot. I always have such a good time talking to her. And I think you guys will find this episode both entertaining and insightful, which is what we're all about over here at The Nugget. Everything we talked about will be linked in the show notes, so check out thenuggetclimbing.com if you want to see any of the images we mentioned or to learn more about Tara. I also linked some of my own personal favorite films from Tara for you guys to watch. And that's all I got. Hope you all are well, and thanks for listening. Please enjoy this insightful and entertaining conversation with Tara Kersner. Perfect. We're going. Hi, Tara. Hi. How's it going? Good, really good. Thanks for coming on the show. I've been looking forward to this. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, you've been keeping busy, I've noticed. I just watched the Ian one. Or listen. Oh, you did? Yeah, I listened to the Ian one. That's cool. Yeah, it was awesome. I was like cleaning my house and just listening to it. I mean, I love Ian. And so it was like, it kind of just made me feel like because he's so good at storytelling and just talking in general that like, it just made me feel like I was hanging out with him. And he was just sort of telling these old, old Ian stories. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's basically what I'm doing here. I'm just like giving myself an excuse to hang out with, with fun people that tell great stories, hang out with friends. Like this. Awesome. So I thought we could start with your living situation. You you recently moved to Boulder. Yeah. Did you guys buy a house? We we bought a townhome. Okay. And when I say we, I and mean Greg. <laughs> Greg bought it. <laughs> I'm sure you're pulling your own weight at this point. So you live with some roommates. You live with Greg, obviously, your husband. And you also live with Daniel Jordan, yeah. who we both love. But you also have some roommates that I haven't met. Tell me about Yevgeny. Uh, Yevgeny is our, is a cactus. I forget what kind of cactus he is. Greg knows. He's pretty big. He's asexual. Um, <laughs> he's not interested in sex at all. Um, but I think that's fine. He's got a lot of self work to do. He's, um, wearing headgear right now. He like, can't really stand up on his own. So we just called it his headgear. I like took some floss and wrapped it around him so that it just like holds him up a little bit. Mm. He's pretty big and we we transported him from uh, a cactus store. I think it's called Cactus Joe's in Vegas. 
to Boulder. Um, and I think the transfer was a little hard, but we repotted him and he's doing really well. There's lots of other cactuses too, though. There's eight. But the big news of the day actually was that my rhubarb plant, rhubarbra, actually is a cauliflower plant. Oh, so, oh man. I mean, <laughs> the name sticks, obviously, but she's not she's rhubarbra not the cauliflower plant yeah <laughs> i was like what is this little thing in here and i was like oh man it's cauliflower we're all just trying to figure out who we are right yeah i mean our I, they do have a lot of personality our other cactus francis she has definitely been banging she's got babies growing everywhere <laughs> so unlike yevgeny who's asexual francis has uh she's living her best life she's making up for him yeah <laughs> Are they good roommates? Do they pull their weight around the house? Um, I mean, yeah. I, they don't really do much, honestly. Apparently, except for, like, procreate. But they must do that <laughs> while we're sleeping, so. Got you. <laughs> I would say that Yevgeny's a little standoffish. He doesn't really like hugging or touching. Uh-huh. He was doing social distancing before it was cool. This has been a lot of cactus talk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you actually, you shared what has been my most recent favorite YouTube video. The title of it is Cactuses, and I will share that in the show notes. I, I've been especially inspired by cactuses lately, so this is uh, this is pretty fitting. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's about a minute long. I recommend people go to the show notes and check that out. Yeah, it's, it's great. And that, watching. that dude, uh, I always want to say his name is David Corrin, but I think it's Daniel Corrin. Or is it David Corrin? Daniel Corrin. Daniel Corrin? I don't know. I'll fact check. Anyways, his videos are amazing. They're all they're all really good. I would highly highly recommend a YouTube wormhole, or actually Vimeo wormhole, and just get into it. So that makes me think of a recent video that you made. I just watched a video that you shared on Instagram, and it was very creative, very fun about working from home. How have things been being stuck at home? I mean, it, it was kind of ironic of making that video working from home because, well, you could call that work in a way, I guess. Um, I <laughs> had some shoots planned, like a lot of creative people and filmmakers and photographers. We all, the way that your year gets set up is, or at least the way it's been for me for the last couple years, is that I'm working on projects and then I'm usually like six months booked. Like I'm, I have projects within a six month span of like the current day. And so, I had a bunch of projects planned and they all, all obviously are canceled now. So I'm, mm. you know, that work that I was going to do. Yeah. It's all she gone. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I've been, uh, pursu- you know, there was some downtime. There was also some house projects that got done. I have some personal creative projects that I'm working on and, yeah, I mean, making the best of it. Uh, I'm extremely privileged because I live in a house and I have the ability to stay home and I'm okay. So, like, I can't really complain. You know, it sucks that, like, my work, in a way, it's, like, hard to watch a career that you worked at really hard to get to the point where it is so steady, kind of just, like, at the snap of the fingers. And I don't think it means that it's, like, over necessarily. I actually don't feel concerned about that at all. I'm more than anything. It's just like, it was just a dramatic shift, but I've, I haven't felt, I haven't felt like depressed about it or anything. It's not going to change the fact that I feel creative. So Mm -hmm. nothing will change like just generally being a creative person. And so 
the fact that I'm a creative person and I have cameras means that content will get made in some, it's like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was actually a very insightful video too. I mean, it was very fun. It was very creative. But you did share some great insights as far as being productive, working at home. Has there been anything that you've been doing or maybe that Greg has been doing that have helped you guys work from home? Any tips for people for working remotely right now? Yeah, I mean, we've been working, I've been working from home and so has he or remotely or like wherever there's an outlet essentially for almost 10 years, both of us have been. So I think that we're pretty dialed in the working from home. We actually spend a lot of time together even before the quarantine. So like it didn't change anything for us. Like we were just like spending a lot of time together again. Like we've been in so many scenarios where we both have our laptops open and are working on a tiny table that we're both sharing in like a super noisy coffee shop or wherever. So I think that like, like it in a way it feels really normal, but I think that like, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. But the, t the tips <laughs> are to, I don't know, I try not to eat so much. That was like one of the main takeaways <laughs> was that Greg and I like call it the snack loop. Just sitting and working and eating. Yeah, you just like, you start trying to work and you get bored and you get up and you eat something and then you sit down and you get up and you eat something. The thing that I do to like try to mitigate the snack loop is um, tea because it's like a slow, hot drink that you're drinking and you're doing something, you know, so it it's not so much about like being hungry or trying to like lose weight or it's not like about that. It's like a bored eating thing. And so if you have something that you're like, you know doing like drinking tea while you're working it'll keep you like sitting at your computer for longer and then for me as far as like video editing goes like if i need to get something done i know that i'm way more productive working in the middle of the night hmm. so i'll just like not do anything in the morning and i'll kind of start working around like 2 or 4 p.m and then i'll work until like 2 okay and that like that chunk where everybody's asleep and it's all dark and I don't even get up to pee. Like that chunk is very productive for me. Okay. I think you just kind of have to figure out what schedule works for you. Like I'm not a morning person. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to get up and be productive in the, mor in the morning, it's, I don't know. I kind of, it, it has to be like a little bit forced. So. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when everyone else is awake, you have to be a little bit, you have to go out of your way to make boundaries for yourself a little bit more. Yeah, which I'm not good at doing. Yeah, totally. I'm the same way. The only problem about working at night is the drinking aspect. Like, because if you have one glass okay. of wine or whatever, like, it's going to lead to a second glass of wine. And, like, you just have to be really careful not to get drunk because or just, like, maintain <laughs> that, like, perfect buzz to work through that. Because it's kind of like when you play pool. And at least for me, I'm OK at pool if I've had one and a half beers. But if I've had any less okay. or any more beers, I'm terrible and I can't make a shot. Okay. Is that your photo or video editing sweet spot? Yeah. Like, like I one can't and a half drinks? Get, I can't get boozy. Because what happens uh -huh. is then I just start like chatting with people and like talking shit with my friends instead of working. Uh-huh. Got you. <laughs> what about tea? Do you have a favorite tea? Uh, I'm pretty obsessed with the Trader Joe's turmeric tea. It's very good. Okay. I drink it every day. Awesome. I'll check that out. So I've followed your professional career for quite a while. We've known each other for a while. And I was just listening to a podcast that you did. I think it was on the Stokecast. I'll share it in the show notes. And it sounds like kind of the crux for you of becoming a professional photographer was believing in yourself. I think Does that resonate? Does that feel right? 
In the beginning, it was, yeah. You told a story on that on that podcast. At one point, you even sold your camera. You were strapped for cash, and you know, even though you still had this dream of becoming a professional photographer, you sold your camera to pay some bills, which I found really interesting given where you are now. So I guess my question is, I find that trajectory really interesting. Is there anything that you wish you'd known when you were 18 years old and excited about photography, but you didn't yet believe that it was something that you could actually make happen for yourself? Um, I mean, the selling of the camera didn't have a lot to do with like me believing or not believing in myself. Like, I didn't come from uh, an exactly wealthy family. Like, my parents went bankrupt twice when I was growing up. And so we just generally didn't have very much money. My parents were not good at managing money. I grew up in that. And so when I was like, I left my parents' house when I was 18 and started, I was like completely on my own and was working in the restaurant industry, not going to college, just working to like pay rent and like live, you know? And I ended up working in the restaurant industry for 10 years. But throughout that time, I didn't... um, or for almost 10 years. Does that make sense? It sure doesn't. That math does not add up. <laughs> I don't know how long. Oh, no, it was because I started. Yeah, yeah, it was 10 years because I started when I was 15 working as a dishwasher. Anyways, um, sorry. Oh, wow. Moving on. And, and it was interesting. I was like, I wanted to move out of my parents' house so badly that like when I started as a dishwasher, I started saving money and I saved $5,000, which at that time was a lot of money, especially to me. Mm -hmm. before I moved out of my parents' house to, like, have the money to leave, essentially. And then, like, when I was out on my own, like, I didn't... I wasn't making good money. And so, like, if I did get into financial trouble or whatever, I had no way of dealing with that. And I didn't have the tools passed down to me by my parents to succeed in a financially difficult situation. So I failed a couple times and learned from those experiences and how to like manage my money and make smarter career choices at the time and try not to yeah make bad choices but I think the believing in myself part was um I didn't have like a mentor or anything Hmm. and so I think that like I didn't have anyone encouraging me necessarily I mean really except for like whatever friends being like that's a nice photo or whatever so I it kind of all had to come from within and I don't necessarily think that from the beginning of my adulthood I was as confident as a person as as confident of a person that I am now like I think in the beginning of my adulthood I really didn't have the maturity and self-confidence that I've developed as my career and life have gone on okay and I think part of that's due to growing up in a super conservative super what's the right word, overbearing kind of, and like home that my parents just, they didn't really let me experience things. And so when I left the nest, I was like, did not know a single thing about the world. I remember being 18 and finding out that people were having sex in high school. And I was like shocked. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. I think that like, as my career continued, I learned to believe in myself. And I talk about this a lot with photographers that are kind of coming into the scene and sometimes people will reach out to me and talk to me and I think that it's good to have a mentor because it's nice to have someone who can just be like look like it's not gonna feel good all the time you're not gonna always take good photos you're gonna take a lot Mm. of what I always tell uh or like my friend Emily has recently got into photography and she was like I don't know I don't like my photos and I'm like yeah but you have to remember that 
you know, especially in the beginning when you're like learning your camera or even learning your style of photos that you want to take, um, you're going to do some garbage collecting. <laughs> There's like that uh, Werner, mm. <laughs> Werner quote where he's like, I forget the quote. I should not butcher it. It's something about garbage collecting. Like we're not garbage collectors. We're artists or photographers or filmmakers or whatever, you know. Um, I butchered it, but okay, I'll I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's a good quote. I always like think of that one. Um, you know, in a couple ways. Like right now, obviously, if I'm on a sh- professional shoot, I'm not. I'm gonna remember not to be garbage collecting. Don't just be holding down the. Don't be recording everything all the time. Just be a little. Put a little thought into it. But um, when you're beginning, you definitely are doing some garbage collecting. Um, but it's important to remember that, I think, and it's all about percentages, you know, if you have, I remember learning on a film camera, and there would be X amount of photos per roll of film that I liked. And as I, like, got better at photography, <laughs> that number of photos would increase per roll. And it was so easy to tell the percentage because it was all in, like, rolls of film, where it started just, like, one photo mm-hmm. per, per roll of film that I liked. And then it would slowly increase to be more and more. And I've kind of seen that with Emily, too. Like, she, in the beginning, she didn't like any of her photos. But now I've kind of, I've been kind of trying to, not that I'm mentoring her, but just I'm just, like, telling her a little bit about the way it goes, you know, just trying to encourage her to, you know, you're not always garbage collecting, but it's okay if you are. But, like, that doesn't mean you're a bad photographer. You're just learning, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like whether you've meant to or not, you kind of have entered into a mentorship role with her. And and that's kind of an interesting way to take this. So is there anything else that you would say to her or that you have said to her or that you would say to anyone else who's aspiring to not even necessarily become a professional photographer, but become a professional artist and lean into artistry or just grow themselves as a creator? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, like, uh, especially right now, like, just shoot, like go out and I always tell people to shoot what they love and that they're going to take photos that they like if they go shoot what they love. Right now it's really hard because we're in our houses and we're not supposed to be, Mm. unless you love being in your house, which some of my friends do, but I think that (laughs) you're in a unique position because especially if you have roommates or family members that you're living with, or even yourself, you can really like experiment right now. And you can, like, take the, the mm-hmm. risks that you might not otherwise take. You know, you can set everything up and take, like, a weird self-portrait or, like, take, like, really personal, candid photos of your roommates or your family members. I think that, like, we're just in a unique position to think creatively in a different way. Which actually, mm-hmm. like, really reminds me of how I learned to start thinking creatively. Because when I was growing up, my I remember being grounded for a period of six months once, and I remember spending oh, wow. a lot of time <laughs> in my room and just like writing and taking photos like of the grass and like my cat and like my brother. And I remember taking those photos, and it was in such an isolated time. So I don't know. I just think, yeah, like take risks. It's okay to like take photos you don't like, and but the more you you do it, like the more you're gonna like your work. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So now we're, we're kind of on the other side of this. I mean, you have become a well-known professional photographer. You're, you've become quite successful and you've made a lot of videos that I've loved. And a lot of my favorite climbing photos are ones that you've taken. I'm curious, do you have any photos 
or videos, and I'd love to cover a few of them if you're willing, but um, do you have any that you that are your favorites that you're most proud of? Yeah, thanks, I appreciate that. Um, I'll just like segment it because there's like the climbing stuff and then there's everything else, you know? And I think that like mm. mm -hmm. in the climbing stuff, the photo I think I like the most is of Greg, who's my husband, climbing on uh, Mr. Yuck at Smith Rock. It was just this weird yeah. light thing that happens on that buttress that's really, really cool. And it happens for about 30 minutes. And it happens only in the fall, I believe. Was it the spring or fall? I can't remember. I'd have to look at the metadata for the photo because I know it doesn't happen both in the spring and the fall. It only happens in one or the other. And it's when the sun goes through this like little notch in the park and it just, because it goes through this notch and it's only a certain time of the year, the way that the light is on the climb is in such this like really bright sliver, I guess. And I remember thinking like after I took those photos that I was gonna have to edit them to look less photoshopped. <laughs> I was like, these look fake. This light looks like not real. And I'm always like trying to do my best with the natural lighting. Now I'm kind of like dabbling in artificial lighting, which has been super fun. But I think at that time I was like, people are gonna think that this is a fake, is fake light. And actually sure enough, they did think that I like put it online and some friends, like Keith Lidzinski is sort of like the king of, doing crazy things with lights. He'll put like lights on drones and like do all this crazy stuff. And he was like surprised to hear that that was um, natural lighting. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, anything where the lighting is really cool. I, I like those moments a lot. And I think that was also just a special memory. And I, I really like just like taking my camera out and going out on the streets of wherever we are traveling and uh, just mm. shooting candid photos of people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really like, I don't know, I really like shooting stuff like that. And I think some of my favorite photos are like, yeah, I shot this one photo of this guy in Johannesburg walking. I was like upstairs in this building. And actually the photo itself is kind of messed up because my lens was breaking at the time. It was like, <laughs> okay. the, it was like the slow death of this lens. And um, <laughs> so it's, it's a bit like soft focus, but um I like could not figure out why this kept happening. But anyways, um, it's a, this guy like walking through this like perfect light path and he has a red sweater on. And I don't know, it just like the scene looked interesting. And there's a portrait I took mm -hmm. in um, Mexico during the Day of the Dead. Uh, I walked up and like asked this woman if I could take her portrait and she closes her eyes and she's got face paint on. And I remember mm -hmm. her closing her eyes and I took the photo and then I looked at it later because I didn't realize she was closing her eyes when I took the photo. But I realized that it's because her eyelids were painted. Oh, wow. And I thought that was cool to, like, oh, discover cool. that later. I guess I didn't really notice yeah. it at the time. And then, I don't know, I kind of like those street photos where you look at it and there's so much going on. And it's just so candid that you kind of, like, feel like you're there, like, wherever it is. So anytime I can take a photo mm. and you look at it and there's just so much to look at, like, I really like those photos. Hmm. Very cool. And then I think that like, I don't know, I took this one photo of this woman walking down the street and I remember like it was during a festival and I remember I saw her and I just held up my camera and I took the photo really fast and just put my camera down and she just walked right past me. It was like it never happened. She didn't even look at me when it <laughs> happened. I mean, she didn't even like look 
she didn't even seem to really notice. It's almost like when I look at the photo, she doesn't see the camera, you know? It's huh. like she's just looking at me, which is cool. What about films? What about film projects you've done? Have any of those been especially meaningful to you or any that stand out? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm at this weird spot with the films because I feel like in the past year, I've learned so much about filmmaking. Like I've really made an effort to like learn about storytelling and about filmmaking. And so like the things that I've learned, I want to apply that to a film. I haven't done that yet. Hmm. I've worked on other films with other people and that's where I've like learned the most, I think. And so okay. while I like my older films, I don't feel like I've made the film that I'm capable of making. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, technically, yeah, totally. I, I think that there's a really big, there's a lot of room for improvement there. And I, I'm excited to make another film because, yeah, it'll be like the first time I can use the knowledge that I've gained in the past year to make something of my own. I'm curious, how much of that is like artistic vision and artistic techniques versus just physical equipment versus stuff like that? Yeah, a lot of it is storytelling. It's not necessarily about having better equipment because I think that like good storytelling isn't necessarily about like holding a good camera, you know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do have a new camera, so that helps also. Right. Yeah, you got a new film camera, right? I did. Yeah. I've been using the Sony A7R series for film stuff this whole time, and okay. while it takes great films, it's not necessarily designed for that. So. It's nice to have a camera that has the capability of shooting higher quality uh, film. What do you have now? It's the Z-Cam E2. Okay. And is the Sony still your your photo setup? Yeah. Yep. That's a good segue. Do you have a favorite piece of gear or anything that you are excited about that you've gotten recently? Yeah, I mean, I think just that camera. I've only really used it once um, in Zion. It was sweet. It was, like, pretty light didn't weigh much. I even like one day had my stills camera and that camera and I didn't really feel like I was being weighed down very much. So I think that camera is awesome. That Z cam. Nice. I've been able to, well, I made that little work from home edit on that camera and that was fun. Yeah. It's a great little camera. Cool. And if I didn't say this before, I'll be sure to share that, that work from home video in the show notes for people to watch. I definitely recommend oh, yeah. it. <laughs> what about any gear in your wish list? Do you have anything that you're that you're thinking about right now as far as that goes? Uh, not really. I mean, honestly, like, I kind of spent a fair amount of money with that new camera setup and then all the work stopped. So I'm definitely not mm. going to be buying anything yeah. for a little while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got you. I have everything I need, so it's all good. Cool. I would love to bounce back to that Mr. Yuck photo. Okay. I know exactly um, the one you're talking about. I love that shot, and I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. With that, though, I've, I've heard you talk a few times. You know, I think when we were at Smith last, at the same time, you were really excited about getting this shot. And it wasn't that one. It was a different one, but kind of a similar thing where the way the sun sets, the light hits a certain part of the wall. I think it was a root in the dihedrals. At, was it you know, the this... one on uh, Last Waltz, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. it was. And I just love that. It sounds like you kind of have this like tick list, like a running tick list for shots that you hope to get. Yeah, I actually have like a just a list or I had I had now it's kind of like mental note, but that's yeah. awesome. How do you think about that? Is that like 
I mean, I think that just comes from climbing there a lot. Like I just yeah. saw that place for so long and I know exactly which routes do a really cool thing with light. And, you know, it's cool because learning that there and learning the light stuff at Smith Rock because I climbed there so much has helped me do that in other locations that I don't know as well. But mm -hmm. I think at Smith, it's, it is really special. And there's not, there are other places that are kind of like Smith that do that on sp certain climbs, like Sirana does that. The cool, like, light shadow stuff. And definitely some other places, too. I've seen some really beautiful photos of, is it Cuenca? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I believe so. And also, what, like the Bukes, I think. Okay, so that's uh, Cuenca in Spain and Bukes yeah. in France. Got you. Do you have a running list like that for those other areas? Like a, a kind of a tick list in your mind of shots I mean, you hope I to get? Now, like unless it's a really specific climb that I want to shoot a really specific way, I don't really like, I just kind of like to arrive places and check the scene out, you know? Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I think I've shot a cool angle, I always, re I like, I'm like, sick. This is like a sweet angle. Like, I haven't seen an angle like this before. Like, how neat is that? And then I'll like look and find out that Jim Thornburg shot it in like 1847 on film. <laughs> and he like rode a horse and buggy to the crag <laughs> with the same angle, same light. I mean, you, you very commonly are shooting very famous routes. How often would you say that that happens? Where you think you got a great shot and then you see that, oh, like, oh, crap, someone else got a really similar shot. It's always shot Jim. That same... It's always Jim Thornburg. It's just always Jim. I swear to God. <laughs> he is an incredibly prolific photographer. He's prolific. And he's just such an artist. And I think that his mm -hmm. photos are such art. And I, I guess I'm, like, honored to have photos in any way that, like, remind me of his. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Not that, that's like, a great way of thinking about I, it. I wasn't necessarily, like, obsessed with his work when I was getting into it, but I just think his work is really good, and that's all. Cool. Uh, for listeners, I'll, I will share Jim's Instagram in the show notes for people, too. There's a lot of uh, amazing climbing shots and a lot of history on his feed, for sure. One thing I'd love to ask you about is how you balance everything. Because, I mean, now you're a professional photographer. You've kind of made that dream come true and you're shooting more video. But you're also an incredible rock climber. I don't know if listeners know that, but you've climbed 514. You're incredibly strong. You do hard routes all the time. And I would, l so recently, I think it was last year, I ended up at Little Sai up in Washington. And you and Greg were there. This might have been a couple of years ago, actually. But, you know, we all climbed for the day. I think you had done some burns on your project and it was later in the day. And I think Micah had gone up something and left a fixed line for you. And you spent the last part of your climbing day instead of like, you know, you probably could have done one or two more tries on something, but instead you jugged up this line 30 meters to shoot Micah, our friend Micah Humphrey on this 513D that he was trying called Porn Star. And the photos are absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful cliff. But those, you know, my, my impression is that those were just for you. You know, those weren't things that you were intending to sell. They weren't for a project or anything. And I was kind of surprised by that. I just, I just was thinking like, man, how does she climb? How does she balance her own climbing with photos that she's taking just for enjoyment versus exploring her own art versus doing things that are work related. So yeah, how, how do you think about that? How do you think about balancing that stuff, especially like when you're on a trip and energy and time are finite? So that was a specific scenario in which I was injured actually. I shouldn't have really oh, you were? Okay. climbing at all. Um, <laughs> I had a, the, 
<laughs> the only reason we were in Washington at that time was because I had like ripped apart my shoulder and I was seeing this uh, oh, climber-specific shoulder uh, PT who ended up like totally helping me. I mean, my shoulder's never going to be the same, but I can climb fine now and I'm not in pain. And it's, yeah, it's, I'm pretty weak on like right arm stuff, but, um, I don't, it doesn't, I don't care. It's like, whatever. Um, Got you. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. But like most of the time, so like if I'm there for a job, I won't climb because it's too hard to focus on my own climbing and shoot. It's also just too physical. Mm if I'm actually working for a client or whatever, like if I have deliverables, then I'm going to be working hard. It's not like I'm just gonna be jugging a fixed line and taking a few photos. I'm gonna be like trying to take as many photos and film as possible in like the best ways. And so like my brain is kind of like working hard in one direction. It's really difficult for me to succeed in climbing when I'm like working. But mm-hmm. I have had a couple Like actually the day that I sent Vesper, I was working and shooting a video of Jonathan Segrist climbing on this. uh, I was there to film him on this route in the Fins, this project he's been trying. And it was a day Mm -hmm. that he had deemed to be too cold, which was great for me because I don't go numb and I can climb when it's really cold. And so I ripped down the fix line and was kind of like, I didn't actually think I was close at all to doing that route because I hadn't one hung it or anything. And I just tried and I sent and it was kind of unusual because usually like jugging and especially filming because I hold the camera steady and my core gets kind of zapped. I like will not climb well, but that route is kind of a slab. So I think that it was okay. And I could just like stand on my feet, but um, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I guess like it's hard to balance them for sure. Like there's sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Like I go in and out of shape all the time because hmm. whether or not I'm on a job, like when we were just hanging out, Steven, we were in Zion and I was shooting some things and, uh, <laughs> that, that, that we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I was shooting some things and I was, you know, really working physically. So I was probably yeah. burning a lot of calories, but I wasn't climbing and I was also eating a lot. That's like pretty Mm -hmm. typical for me if I'm on like a work shoot. I know I'm burning calories, (laughs) but I'm eating whatever I want and drinking beers and like not trying to send something, you know? Yeah, totally. Those cinnamon rolls from the bakery down the street. I know. I was just eating these like 8,000 calorie cinnamon rolls every day. But yeah, that was interesting. You, I remember on that trip, you were actually talking about becoming interested in training, not for climbing, but getting together with a strength coach or working with somebody potentially just for the strength and the toil sort of stuff that you need to be able to do when you're like rigging and filming on the wall. How are you thinking about that? Um, Well, I've been considering doing that for a while and I actually have done a little bit of it in the past. It's basically just because I weigh 125 pounds and when you put all the weight together in the amount of equipment you need to film on a multi-pitch it ends up weighing a lot like i had a 200 meter rope on this last shoot that we did dude your your pack was ridiculous yeah my pack probably weighed i think the rope itself weighed 65 pounds oh wow and then i had some camera equipment on top of that and then forced you to carry a little extra weight you know it's like i think on one hand like mentally i would want to be like the person who just does it all and can carry everything but like physically like I weigh 125 pounds. I just physically cannot carry 
X amount of weight and be efficient still. I was still mm-hmm. carrying that rope and like my camera equipment and actually hiking pretty fast, I thought. Totally. But, You're crushing. But I think that like, you know, if I did that for five days in a row, it would crush me. And so I've considered, mm. you know, hiring a trainer just to help me work on like, I mean, probably like deadlifting and stuff would be super beneficial to my work. You know, the less I have to think about other stuff and aside from like the creativity, the better. So the less I have to worry about my body, the less I have to like worry about anything else, climbing or a project or any of that stuff, like a personal problem, like all that stuff is like really distracting. And I find it really distracting to worry about the health of my knees or whatever. So like I was like using trekking, I use trekking poles a lot because I just want to have more longevity in my joints because I need my body for work, you know? Got you. That's super interesting. Are you actively looking for a trainer or or is it just something that you're still kind of kicking around and thinking about? I probably will not look for a trainer. I'm probably just going to train myself. I've just been like doing stuff myself. Okay, cool. Are you kind of still experimenting or is there anything that you found that, um, that you're excited about as far as exercises, stuff like that? Um, not really. Like I'm, I, I think I would like to, I guess, I think I do want to go see somebody, I guess, just because I want them to look at my body and be like, this is what you, this is your weak point. This is how mm-hmm. your body's going to fail. Like you should try to work on this. And then I'll mm-hmm. just take that knowledge and, you know, do what I will with it. Got you. But yeah, I don't think I'll ever be like a ripped person. It's just not my body type, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just want to be like, feel like my knees aren't going to break if I have a heavy load. I mean, I think I'm uh-huh. pr- pretty good, but I have had an instance in, on another shoot in the past where my IT band got all jacked and it didn't like ruin the shoot, but it made it a lot more painful. Got you. Yeah, that sounds rough. It sucked. And you've never really done any training for climbing. Is that right? Not really, no. I've dabbled in hangboarding. And when I say dabbled, I mean, like, I think I once did six sessions. Okay. Is, I don't know, is that pretty good? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. It is whatever it is, you know? Hangboarding's not for everybody. Well, like, what is... And you've what done is... pretty well. Like, you were talking about Vesper earlier. I mean, I don't know if we even mentioned this, but that's a 514A at the fins, and it doesn't really get more finger-intensive than a, a route like that. I, I mean, that's kind of just like standing on your feet. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's get to that then, because, you know, one thing I've heard you talk about a lot, you and I have kind of a, a little bit of a similar story in that we both spent a lot of time climbing at Smith early on. And I've heard you speak about um, working to unsmith yourself. Let's start with that. Can you tell me what you, what you mean when you say that you've been trying to unsmith yourself? Well, I think that was a joke that started pretty early on when I started dating Greg, my now husband, like eight years ago. You know, uh-huh. he we met and he's an extremely talented rock climber. And I don't think he'd ever seen somebody that was literally only good at one thing. Like he just assumed <laughs> since I climbed 513 at Smith, which was very hard for him because Greg is like a 514, solid 514 climber. But he was like, struggling in 512 at Smith because he his footwork was probably the thing that needed a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's a whole other story. But I think he was like, hey, this girl climbs 513 at Smith. I'm going to like take her to... We went and climbed the Astroman and then Moonlight Buttress was... Actually, I think Moonlight was before um, Astroman. 
He oh just assumed gosh. I would be able to like do it. I mean, I was able to like ascend Moonlight Buttress, and we did we did get down in time to have tacos, but. <laughs> I don't remember it being very pleasant, you know, and I think that and then like we moved to San Francisco and started climbing a lot at jailhouse and that was just like the complete opposite of Smith Rock and I didn't know that you've climbed there. Yeah, I've climbed there quite a bit actually. Okay. And, uh, you know, I also sort of stubbornly was like, I'm going to project this 13A that has this dyno on it. And I remember like Alex actually one day Honnold being like. In typical Alex way, he's like, um, how many tries have you put into this? And I'm like, 8,902. <laughs> he's like, maybe pick something easier. And I was kind of like, fuck you, Alex. And I ended up doing the route anyways, but he was totally right. Like in hindsight, uh, I absolutely should have started with like easier, steeper climbs instead of like just forcing myself to do this other one. But I don't know. I think that like because my body type doesn't, it doesn't like lend itself to being powerful i'm not like i'm not buff in any way but like i am really good at standing on my feet from smith rock and so that's great like that's a great skill but it certainly only applies sometimes so Mm -hmm. had to learn how to do other things like you don't learn how to heel hook at smith rock you don't learn how to jump at smith rock you don't learn how to use your arms really your biceps you like only use your fingertip skin and your toes (laughs) so i don't know i it's been a long process i think more than anything it's just been kind of forcing myself to try to do routes that are not necessarily within that wheelhouse okay yeah that was going to be my next question so you just mentioned jailhouse and that's super opposite from smith have there been any other areas or uh, routes that you've sought out or things like that or styles that you've sought out that have been key ingredients in unsmithing yourself I think honestly, at this point, I've successfully unsmithed myself. I don't, I think I'm like really good at crimping, but I don't necessarily see my Smith Rock origin as a failing point anymore because mm-hmm. it's been like eight years since I've moved from Bend. Well, then I guess what would have been some of the key chapters or uh, places along the way that have helped the most for you? Um, I think that. It was interesting because in the beginning, I definitely like just sought after like vert climbs. And so I've done a shit ton of vertical 13As, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like so many. (laughs) And now I like go to an area and I'm like, do not make me do that climb. Like (laughs) I will do anything to not have to do that. Like it just looks so unpleasant. I'm just so over like vertical face climbing that I would much rather do something. Excuse me. I would much rather do something that was like, I don't know not just like heinous sharp tiny holds with like bad feet i mean i like that style sometimes but i don't know that it's that fun <laughs> mm-hmm. totally so that's cool so just what you've gravitated towards is just kind of naturally shifted on its own towards different things i think so i i made a point to try this route at the vrg a couple years ago called don't call me dude and mm-hmm. i had never climbed at the vrg before um and Is i that 13c it's 13C, yeah. Okay. And I had heard about like a couple other routes there that I would really like, um, like Joe Sixpack and Fall of Man. And both of those are pretty vert. Fall of Man even has like a very long slab section and a slab crux. And I'm not saying that I would have done those easily, but like instead of gravitating towards the ones that people told me to try, I kind of went for like the one that I thought would be the hardest for me. 
which was mm -hmm. the one with a short, powerful, bouldery crux that wasn't on down pulling crimps. You know, it was mm. like side pulls and like, there's literally a fire truck driving around our blog right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so, and that, that route, I feel like really opened up, like after I sent that, it was weird. I just felt like I got a lot, it was like I learned how to climb a lot more powerfully. And so then the following season in Rifle, I really did, had a great season there too and did a bunch of hard, steeper routes. And uh, since then, I feel like it, it was sort of like a turning point for me in my power and strength. And now it's like, it doesn't take that much effort for me to, to do the routes that I like set my mind out to do. That's cool. Yeah, so it was interesting. I think the last time that you and I uh, got together and were hanging out, I think I hadn't seen you in a while, so I had congratulated you on Vesper because it was your first 14A. And it, you have an interesting perspective on that and on grades. And it was I was kind of surprised to hear that at least it sounded like Don't Call Me Dude was like even more significant for you, even though it, it doesn't have that same grade attached to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really... I'm not so attached or like obsessed with grades. Like, it's just not... They don't totally make sense, you know, <laughs> like given your skill set or whatever, like don't call me dude was, well, it was weird because I, like I mentioned, don't call me dude was like the start of like my stronger climbing. I felt like mm. I had done mm -hmm. some 13Cs before, but not any that were actually like quite difficult. And so when I sort of broke into the, the 13D range, I kind of attribute the start of that to don't call me dude which kind of feels more like modern day 13D, but it's 13C and then Vesper, which is 14A, took me a lot less tries. It was a lot later in the climbing, but like still, I don't know, it just didn't, it wasn't significant because as significant as Don't Call Me Dude because I don't know, I just, it just wasn't. But like now I feel like you just never know. Like my friend Jill always, always says that um, sometimes you do them really fast and sometimes you don't. Like, and I, she always says it in like this, like really upbeat, like positive way. And she's right. Like sometimes they take a really long time and they're grueling and difficult. And sometimes you do them really fast. Like I was really surprised. We went to the, um, grail recently and I did this, uh, route called Magnum, Magnum Opus. I actually didn't mm -hmm. think it was that great of a route, but I ended up doing it on my third try. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, Dude, that nice. was like a lot easier than a lot of 13 C's I've done for me, you know, uh -huh. but like, that's not to say, like, I actually do think that route is significantly easier if you have small fingers. Like, I think for me, it could have even been 13 B, but like, it's just one of those things that like, then you kind of get into this arbitrary conversation about grades. that doesn't really matter. You know, like that mm. route went really easy for me. Don't call me dude. Took a whole month of effort, you know? Mm-hmm. Vicious Fish at Smith Rock took a whole month of effort, and I think it's 13D. It's a slash grade, but, like, I'm not, like, trying to go, like, wave a flag around. Like, nobody cares if somebody set, climbs, like, a 13C or D. Like, it doesn't matter to me or anyone else. And so, like, all in my head, I'm like, it's 13D, or it was a 13D effort for me, you know? Uh-huh. With that, I'd, I'd love to dig into where you hope to take your climbing. You've successfully unsmithed yourself. You've kind of entered into a new chapter of more powerful climbing do you have any climbing goals any routes that are at the top of your list um i do have a couple routes i'd like to do um well i was supposed to go to Seyus this year 
and I really wanted to do this route. I remember watching Greg do it when we were there in 2015. And Seuss was one of those crags that was like actually suited me really, really well. Some people go there and they get like really shut down. But like for me, I felt like I climbed, I ended up doing this 13B there. And this was back when 13B was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Ended up doing this 13B there called Color de Vente that was, that I think is supposed is supposed to be pretty hard, but it ended up just being like a perfect route for me. And I loved the projecting process and it didn't really take me any longer than other 13Bs. And I kind of, I flourished, you would say. So I think <laughs> I can cool. do a hard route there too. Now, you know, now that my climbing has changed quite a bit. And this... What does that mean for you? What grade range? Like it's a 13D... Okay. Um, I forget what it's called. The cool part about it is it has this cool rose move. Okay. It's like a crazy looking rose move. And it just looks awesome. It actually starts on um, this route called Femme Noir. It's a 13-8 that I did uh, when I was there in 2015 or 14 or something like that. Okay. And then I, the other route I really want to do is, um, and it's not like this is the whole point of like grades being irrelevant, but like... <laughs> There's uh, this 13C in Rifle that I really want to do. I've actually tried it a lot. It's um, the epitome of anti-Smith, actually. Um, and the reason why it will be so significant for me to do it is because it's just so not my... It's probably my, my hardest style. It has one crimp on it. What is the root? The crimp is, like, not even a real crimp. It's like a crimp jug. It's called Sprayathon. Okay. And I remember it... Like, I remember hearing about it a super long time ago when my ex-boyfriend uh, went to Rifle. I think he, like, made some ridiculous video of him climbing it or on-siting it or something like that. And, like, you know, I just remember thinking I would never be able to climb something like that. And then I ended up huh. starting to try it, and it's a rad route. It has, like, a dyno on the bottom and, like, a low-percentage dyno and then jug hauling on, like, really steep terrain. But, like, for my size, I'm, like, 5'5". Five, five. It's mm. full span moves in between giant jugs. And so while the holds are huge, it's like physical enough because I'm doing such big moves in between them that like it's kind of exhausting. So I have climbed on it quite a bit. And right now we have a 40 degree wall in our garage. Yeah. I feel like that's going to help. I don't know. Like it's not like grade wise significant. In fact, like I think some like really tall people like even think that route is you know i've heard as low as 12d but i think for me when i do it it's <laughs> gonna be just like a really it will be difficult for me to do it uh -huh. it'll be one of my harder routes when i do it personally cool. but that's just like the irrelevance of grades you know right because yeah you've climbed a couple 13ds in rifle now haven't you or at least one one yeah in rifle awesome you'll have to send me the name of the uh the 13d and say you so i'll link to that one in the show notes so one thing that's interesting to me, it's it's cool to hear about this process, unsmithing yourself and kind of moving away from this style that, that you started out in and done a lot in. But you also have one goal that's very much in line with with what you're very good at. It's at Smith. It's something that you've spent a lot of time honing. So, yeah, are you willing to talk about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I uh, Well, it's it's interesting because it was absolutely like one of my goals this year. But like I just have no idea what's going to happen because of uh, COVID-19. So sure. I'm not sure if I'm really going to get the opportunity to go and 
put in the time into this route. And, Mm -hmm. but I have, or like prior to COVID-19, my goal for this year was to try to go do to bolt or not to be at Smith rock, Mm -hmm. which was like doing that route, which is an iconic 14 Smith would be very meaningful to me because I learned to climb there and I've actually been on the route and it went shockingly well. And so I was sort of like, Oh, like I, actually think that this would totally suit me and I could absolutely do it. And like, now that I have some other hard roots under my belt, like I feel like I could, and, and including like vicious fish, which is a hard route at Smith. I feel like it would be a good time to, uh, to try, you know, mm-hmm. I think awesome. I could do it. I, I usually like, if I don't think I can do a route, I do not even try it. Mm, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, it's not like I'm just trying random things that like, I don't <laughs> yeah. like to, like, if I don't do all the moves on my first try up a route, I usually will not try it again. Uh-huh. Totally. So yeah, you said Vicious Fish was about a month of effort. Do you, I, I'm curious how you think about that. Like what kind of um, time frame are you kind of willing to commit if you think you can do something, but something that's quite hard for you? I don't know. Honestly, like, like in the past several years, I don't think anything has taken me like really that much longer than a month maybe like a month and some change okay and i know that to bolt is going to be difficult but i also don't think it's out of my ability level and so i kind of expect it to be right in that same range of projecting time okay i think that i actually would have done vicious fish a lot earlier if i just would have not been using stupid beta on the bottom (laughs) (laughs) i was like doing this really horrendous beta on like at like the fourth bolt and ha- like having this my personal crux and yeah like as soon as i stopped doing that i like kind of sent it within a few tries <laughs> as soon as you stopped doing bonus cruxes yeah <laughs> got you well cool i uh i'll be rooting for you i hope you get a chance to get back to smith and to try to bolt sooner yeah. rather than later definitely so recently when we were chatting, I think it was, I think you were telling me the story about Greg doing Moonlight Buttress and kind of dragging you up that thing when it was a little bit above your head. And you said something interesting. You were talking about big wall or medium wall climbing and how like a really great goal for any rock climber would just be to chase Alex Honnold around and like do all the walls that he free solos. Like that would be a really great tick list for big walls for any climber right like if you're into big wall climbing yeah or like wall climbing at all i guess Uh i i kind of feel like it's a bit of a stretch to call them all big walls because they're certainly not but like if you look at the list of routes that he's free solo they're all super classic and Mm -hmm. my husband and i have been on or done like greg has done probably most of them Mm -hmm. i think the only one i've actually done that he's free soloed was sendero luminoso but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's a good sign that the route's not going to be that chossy because yeah. you free soloed it. <laughs> Except Don't for, worry. like, sometimes they are, and I'm just like, what the fuck, Alex? <laughs> but, like, Monkey Finger was kind of chossy, but it could have been, like, the time, the season. Is that in Red Rocks? Uh, Monkey Finger is actually in uh, Zion. Oh, okay. But, I mean, it's not like it's the, those are the only routes that are good. But th- they are just, like, a, that. that is a good group of... That'd be a, that'd be a safe bet. Yeah, probably a safe bet of a high-quality multi-pitch. Well, I'm curious then, are there any others from that list or any other big or medium walls that you're excited about that are goals for you? Um, 
I don't think Alex has free soloed this, but I, Greg and I want to go down and do uh, logical progression in Mexico. Oh, awesome. I kind of like um, multi-pitch sport climbing. Like, <laughs> Okay. I'm not like the best tried climber. Like I'm, I, okay, that's terrible to say. Actually, Greg really hates it when I say that, but I'm just, <laughs> it's not like, I, I don't know. I like multi-pitching a lot, but I kind of like multi-pitching, multi-sport multi-pitching. Like I had so okay. much fun when we did what? Sendero. Sen- it was awesome. And yeah. then I went and did Cloud Tower recently in uh, Red Rocks. Uh-huh. And there's this pitch at the end of Cloud Tower. It's like this, uh, I think they call it 11C. And it's uh, quoted as a hand crack. Okay. And I just, I mean, I did it, but God, it was, oh, it was not pretty. I sounded like <laughs> a baby cow being born. It was so <laughs> wide for me. It like wasn't a hand crack. I, w- I was like shoulder deep in it and it was just like i'm like what this is so unpleasant uh-huh. so kind of like you're giving birth you're helping the cow give birth you feel like you're giving birth yeah okay yeah uh-huh. or like greg and i went and did um or he he like almost sent i definitely was not in that mindset at all i was supporting him but he this is a great route the silverback in zion and anyways it has a cruxy one of the crux pitches is an off width and he goes up there and he like onsites this pitch, but he's like in there just like wheezing and moaning. And then he gets to the anchor after onsiting this pitch and throws up. <laughs> Actually throws up? Yeah. So I kind of just feel like multi-pitch sport climbing is just such a delight. You know, you're just, it's just so casual and fun and wholesome and nice versus like sometimes trad climbing can be just so physical and like, you know, pushing the envelope of what is type one or two fun. Totally. Absolutely. So logical progression, that's a 13A down in Mexico? Yeah. Um, what's the breakdown? I, I don't really know much about that. <sighs> I can't really remember. There's a lot Ball of pitches. Park. It's a lot of pitches. It's a, it's a proper big wall, though. Okay. Yeah. It's cool. like, oh, God, I actually don't remember how many pitches it is, but okay. I think it has like, I don't want to eat my own words. I honestly can't remember. It has a manable, manageable amount of hard pitches. And a, mm. and a fair amount of easy pitches in between. Okay. Do you guys have plans to go down to try that, or is that just on the bucket list? Um, it's just on the bucket list right now. I think that okay. planning anything is a bit sure. tricky at this point. Okay. Got it. What about El Cap? You've done a lot of filming on, on El Cap. I know Greg has freed it. He freed it with his brother Mike, and you were on the wall taking photos. Um, amazing photos. You've also supported some other film things, film projects on El Cap. Do you have any interest in trying to free climb El Cap yourself? I mean, I think I'd like to think that I would like to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm definitely, I'm not capable of doing that. I'm just not like that proficient is the right word of a trad climber to do that. It's also Mm. really hard. Like, yeah, yeah. All the easy climbing is hard. It's so hard. I've climbed a lot of El Cap and it, I mean, I, it's been a while and I'm a much better and stronger overall p- climber now, but like, God, I just remember sometimes I'd have to really go back up there and climb on it a little bit more to, to know. And I'd okay. have to do a lot of work on my trad climbing, but it's not really a current goal. No. Gotcha. Okay. Let's switch gears. I would love to talk to you about cats. You have a real affinity for cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't have a cat. My understanding is that it's more that you want to be a cat. Is that right? Uh, are you just are you just referencing my eight A photo? 
I mean, I don't know. Not just that, Tara. It comes up all the time. I feel like if you know Tara Kersner, it's like, yeah, she's she's kind of a, a she kind of wants to be a cat. She kind of is a cat. And well, you make it sound though, like I'm a crazy person. Like I actually want to be a cat. I'm not trying to be a cat in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. But there are certain things that cats like that I like too, like sleeping and sunbeams. You know, <laughs> things. Some things that cats like that I don't like are like kibble and tuna. I'm vegetarian, you know. So. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to be a cat. I would love to have a cat. I watch oh, a lot really? of cat videos. On Why don't you have a cat? That's a question. Well, one is because I travel so much norm- normally. Mm. And the second reason is because Greg is actually allergic to cats. Oh, damn. And Daniel is also allergic to cats. Who's our roommate? Okay. And I don't really want a cat. I would rather just look at pictures of cats on the internet and play with our neighbor's cat, which is what I do a lot. Okay. I have heard you, though use an analogy, you know, comparing yourself to different types of cats. Like you started out as like a tabby house cat sort of thing, you know, and then like unsmithing. This is like, is directly related to the unsmithing process. Can you speak to that at all? Well, I guess the only reason I say that is because I just don't have any, well, that's not true. I used to not have any core strength and I would joke that you could pick me up from the center like a house cat and I would just sag on either (laughs) side of your hand. And that was like, a good way to think about like my core strength Uh but i don't know i'm working on that and trying i also just like my body type just doesn't like i'm never going to be swole so Mm. i just have to deal with the like slenderness and not skinniness but slenderness that is my body type and super long legs so i think that like any type of core is like very difficult because the lever is all fucked up (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. yeah totally where would you put yourself now? Are you like, you know, Lynx status? I would say an ocelot because they're so cute. and But small enough to just still be kind of like not that strong. But like <laughs> not a house cat. You've, <laughs> you've evolved. You're, you've leveled up from house cat. You're now an ocelot. Yeah. What kind of cat would you aspire to be someday? I'm pretty satisfied with ocelot, honestly. Okay. I'm not like trying to be anything special. All right. <laughs> right on i'm just trying to be me (laughs) tara the ocelot what is something that you have been especially grateful for lately that is such a churchy question i'm gonna tell you that (laughs) like why do i have to answer that you don't have to you want (laughs) to skip it what do you what is that like a question you try to get people to answer or something that's a question that i ask everybody yeah what what do people say um let me think the most recent one was I just put out an episode with Jonathan. He was especially grateful for one of his sponsors. Mike Doyle, especially grateful for his recent surfing trip to Costa Rica. Um, Other ones have been... It's all over the map. Some are deeper answers. Some are just like, oh, this awesome thing happened recently. I guess I am generally exceptionally grateful for the fact that I... This is going to... Are you ready for the awe? The almond yeah. hair. Let's I'm exceptionally it. grateful. Actually, let's wait till this car drives by. One sec. She's putting on her sunglasses. She's about to drive by. It's just going to be kind of loud. It's just my neighbor. No metal mu- music this time. Oh, how thoughtful. I am exceptionally grateful for having met Greg. You know, like, I think a lot That's of people awesome. uh, have re- great relationships, but, like, Man, it's just crazy. Like, I can't, I cannot believe that, uh, you know, I just found the the right person for me. We just mm. have so much fun together. 
Really, hmm. our relationship has gotten better every single year that we've been together. Dude, fuck yeah, that is awesome. Which has been really cool. But, That's you know, so cool. keep in How mind. How long have you guys been together? Eight years. Dude. We actually just had our fourth wedding anniversary. Or we're on our ninth year right now. Okay. That is so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, and that's why, like, you know, I, I know that, like, this is a difficult time for people in relationships and stuff, but I feel really grateful for the fact that Greg and I are just, we're really used to being around each other. And so right now, that's not a stress for us, you know. That's we have a huge. lot of fun together. We like climbing together. He's super supportive and, you know, just a great person to share my life experiences with and my chuffing with. <laughs> Got you. You know, just flailing and my flailing, the goods and the bads. Uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome. I'm curious with, uh, you know, you, you just mentioned that you feel like your relationship's gotten better every year. Is there anything that you could attribute to that? Is that like something you guys have actively worked on or is it just like continuing to grow your comfort with one another? Is there anything you could, you could point to there? Uh, I don't know. I think we just like really get along. Like in, if we weren't like uh, in a romantic relationship, we would be really good friends, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah, it's good. Well, I would love to ask you about stuff that's coming up. I know that's a really, especially weird question. With I just don't really have any answers. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about though is Sladies 2. You had a plan to do that at Smith and I think it was supposed to be happening right around now. Is that just totally pending in a holding pattern or do you have any plans for that? Uh, right now, no plans for it. It's hard. I think we're in a difficult time right now, right? Like, and I think that there's a lot of ethics that go hand in hand in the things that we choose to do right now. I've been basically home this whole time. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. going climbing. I'm not saying I'm not going climbing and secretly go cli going climbing. I'm just <laughs> climbing on our home wall. Like, and that's just You guys like, built that at the right time, by the way. Good Yeah. Timing. I'm not just like, I guess I, there's a lot of like shaming online and stuff too. And I'm not trying to tell other people what to do. I just like, I'm just trying to do what I feel comfortable doing right now mm -hmm. and which is not climbing. And like, I guess like I have other stuff, you know, it's not like it's the only thing I have. I have all the creative stuff too. So it's not like I feel like I lost my identity by mm -hmm. the coronavirus, which I think it might be what some people are struggling with, right? Mm. Yeah, that's a good insight. I also have had a lot of injuries, so I don't mind like taking time off climbing because I've done it before. And for work, you know, I'm always in ebbing and flowing or whatever, climbing or not. And so I'm just constantly in phases where I'm climbing and not climbing. And like, I don't know, I guess the only reason why I'm saying all this to reference what you're asking is that, you know, sure, I could plan Sladies too right now, but like at the same time, is planning a climbing trip right now responsible? Like, I'm not sure that it is. Even though places are opening up, like, and governments are reopening their, I guess, restrictions, I would rather wait and see what happens and see if the restrictions are put back on because of further infections than mm. get excited about restrictions being lifted and try to plan a film. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's speak more generally then. I would love to hear you. You've had a really it's been really fun to follow the evolution of your work and your trajectory as you've gotten kind of more into film. And it sounds like you're leaning into that even more. What are you excited about for yourself in the future as far as your art? Is there anything that you hope to explore more of in the future? What are you excited about? I mean, I think that I am pretty excited about exploring more 
editorial type non-climbing shooting opportunities like journalistic style. I really like non-climbing, even non-athletic style photos. Mm. And I would like to, I guess, dabble a bit more in stuff like that. Okay. Um, I did a shoot in Fiji last year that was so rad. One of the best shoots I've done, honestly. And it was, um, it was shooting an adventure race. And I just was able to like follow these athletes around and like be super close to them when they were suffering and like take photos of like the whole scene, you know, their faces and the emotion and the pain that they were like going through. And it was rad. Like I thought that the, that photo opportunity was really cool. And I think that anytime I could get the opportunity to shoot stuff like that, I think I'd be psyched. Um, I mean, I love shooting climbing, but like I don't have much interest in like only, only making climbing videos. Like I would Mm -hmm. rather make videos of like interesting stories versus like only videos about like X climber achieving X like difficult route. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm up for doing anything really, but like I'd love, I think more than anything, I just want to do more of the stuff that I haven't done. Got you. That's awesome. What about photos versus video? Are you leaning more one way versus the other or do you like doing a mix of both? I like doing them both. And I think that like, I don't really know what to say about that other than I haven't chosen and I refuse to choose one or the other. Uh huh. Nice. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you? Um, in my house. <laughs> <laughs> For this foreseeable future, climbing on your home wall. I mean, I have a website. TaraKersner.com. That's right. Okay. And then what about Instagram? Are you, do you have a platform where people can reach out to you? Are you responsive to stuff like that? Or is it just kind of sharing your photos? Yeah, I'm pretty responsive. If people write me, I try to write them back. If I don't write back, it's because I was on a shoot or busy or I forgot or something like that. I've never, (laughs) yeah. I, I mean, I try to respond to people because I know what it feels like to write to somebody that you, I guess, look up to in some way and they like don't write back like that's mm-hmm. yeah so i try to write back you know i try to respond thoughtfully to the questions that people send me sometimes i get or i, I guess like i got a bunch after i did that last podcast about um confidence and believing in yourself and stuff mm-hmm. which was cool i mean i was happy to offer insight about that to some people who had asked you know but yeah, yeah actually awesome. like if I could say one thing, if anyone did write me after this one, is that email me because okay. it's hard to write back on Instagram sometimes. Or just okay. like write me on Instagram and and ask me for my email and then send me your whole thing in an email because it's so much easier to respond thoughtfully on a computer than like on your phone. Does that make me sound old? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, it makes you sound like a professional, honestly. Sweet. Right on. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tara. I think I will. You're uh, trying to do a home wall session, right? Yeah, I think we'll get started here soon. I, Greg is still working, but yeah. How has that been? Is this like the most you've ever climbed on a indoor climbing wall in your life? Actually, it's funny because he, he's joking that it took a pandemic for me to climb on the 40 degree wall because like our gym <laughs> has a 45 and uh-huh. I just kind of, I get th- pushed around by that angle for sure. It's like harder. It's hard, dude. It's hard. It's hard for me than steeper or vert, more vert. You know, it's like it's the most difficult angle, I think. That's right. You and I were just talking about this. I completely agree. I think it is the hardest angle in rock climbing. 
Yeah, I think so too. It's steep enough that you can't use your feet that much, but you still have to move vertically in space. You're not just like traversing a, a roof or something. Right, exactly. It's hard. It's actually been, been sweet. I've been really enjoying it. Nice. Do you feel like you're improving? Can you tell a difference? Uh, definitely. I think that like it's funny because I used to be like, oh, I'm just not strong enough to climb on this angle very well. But I think what it is, and I'm learning that now, it's about learning how to be dynamic and move, I guess, move on this angle. Hmm. It, it's all like body positions. Hmm. Like sometimes I'll like try and move and it feels really hard. And I'm like, oh, I can't do it at this angle. But actually I'll end up doing the move and it will feel very easy. And I think all that tells you is that it was a body position thing. Interesting. Like mo- like a momentum sort of thing, like finding the right amount of momentum or. Kind of. And just like learning how to, you know, twist into the wall for whatever reason. Our wall gotcha. is so like. It's so short that uh, the boulder problems that we're setting are really powerful, which is awesome. But, like, it's also meant a lot of, like, jumping around and cutting feet and stuff like that. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, it seems like it's a lot of body position to me. Gotcha. Well, Tara, this has been so much fun. I really enjoy every time we end up at Smith at the same time together or anywhere else for that matter. It's always really fun to bump into you. And it's been really fun to follow your work over the last several years. I really enjoy watching your films. And I think I'm going to share your favorite films of mine in the show notes. I'm just going to, like, make a little catalog of my favorite Tara Kersner productions. Okay, but, but could, um, you, could you not make it the the really old ones? Because those ones are just, like... <laughs> the only reason people like those is because it's just raw climbing without, like, anything else. Okay. It's just, like, so annoying. It's, like, I'm, like, you only like that because you're a rock climber. Like, somebody's, like, it's my favorite film by Tara. And it's, like, I mean, that's great. It's not really a film. It's just, like, someone climbing a route. You know what I mean? It's, like, this is my favorite, like... I'll, I'll like bet any- the list with you. I'll let you... I'll give you input, too. Maybe I'll just pick your favorite list. Maybe we'll just go with that. I don't know. Maybe I should just let people be people. <laughs> um, we did end up in Zion together recently, and it was kind of the first time that I got to see you really in your kind of in your zone doing your thing and that was super fun you're such a professional i was so impressed with how you handle yourself on the wall whether things are going great or whether or not it's freezing cold or you've been in the harness for 10 hours or things are stressful or whatever you're just such a professional and it was uh yeah super fun super fun to see you do your thing yeah that was that was super fun i was glad i was uh you know it's good to be it's good to be up on the wall that's a that's a place i enjoy (laughs) even if i'm working hard well, I hope uh, I hope everything kind of settles so you'll get to do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. And in the meantime, enjoy the home wall. I will. I will be enjoying it. Cool. Well, thank you again. Great talking yeah. to you. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay, sounds good. Bye. Like we do it.